This is Dialogue Gospel Sunday Study. Hey, welcome everyone to another Sunday of Gospel Study with Dialogue. We're very excited to be here with uh, Kristen Campbell today as our teacher. We're going to start off today with a opening hymn, How Firm a Foundation. After that, we'll have an opening prayer by Heather Sundahl. Heather is getting a master's in marriage and family therapy at UVU. She's also a longtime editor and writer and historian for Exponent 2. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to come together in this vibrant community, and we are thankful for the chance to explore our faith. Please bless Kirsten to feel the spirit as she guides us in our discussion and shares her gifts. Lord, please give rest to the weary and healing to the wounded and help us witness each other in our pain and our joy. And please, in this time of of war and suffering and um, so much uncertainty, please be generous with thy spirit and thy comfort. And we say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Heather. So a quick little introduction for our teacher today. Kristen Kristen Campbell currently works as an administrator in the education department of the South Bend Civic Theater. For most of her life, she has been a professional volunteer working on a number of nonprofit boards and civic community and school organizations. She's been on the board of Exponent 2 for over 10 years, including a term as its president. Her main passion is fabric, and she enjoys quilting, making clothing, and costuming for plays. She lives in the South Bend, Indiana area with her husband, Dave, and their Bernadoodle Murphy. So as always, we're grateful for Kristen and the perspective she brings um, and the unique ideas that she'll present today. They do not represent the views of the Dialogue Board or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but we're grateful for her time and her thoughts that she will share. So without further ado, Kristen. Thanks, Esther. And thanks, Heather, for that prayer. You are always there when I need you. Thank you. Um, I love the version of this, the How Firm a Foundation. I think maybe as many of you, when you read through these chapters, that Fear Not, I Am With Thee verse came out. And I liked this version because it is not the, what's in our LDS hymnal. And so it makes you pay attention a little bit more. You, you notice, oh, this is different. And so um, I liked being able to concentrate on those lyrics. So I was asked to teach today by Linda in my gut reaction when I got that, that email was to say, absolutely not. But I said, no, I promised myself when I turned 50 last year that I was going to do more, say yes more, put myself out there. And um, I'm grateful for all my friends who are, are watching and listening today. I can kind of feel your support. And I don't mind teaching, um, but Isaiah and to adults I teach primary. I've been in primary for nine years, and kids are way more fun than adults. Um, I feel bad because I really wish I could give you all treats, but I do promise we will not have to resort to playing hangman if we have extra time. So Um, I consider myself a New Testament Mormon. I really love the Jesus of the New Testament. I love the stories and the intimacy of the New Testament, and the Old Testament for me has felt a lot like calculus class. I know it's necessary for something for some reason, but it's so A lot of it feels foreign and baffling to me. And so I will tell you, I'm nervous because it's Isaiah. But I thought, well, I'm just going to go through these chapters. I'm going to pull out what speaks to me and we'll we'll talk about it. Um, And as I started reading, the chapters kind of the beginning of this feels like a bit of a shift in the tone of 
of the Old Testament. It's, um, we still have our powerful God, but he's not as angry. And I like that. I, I, I like that he seems to be more joyful, approachable, and loving. And there's a lot in here, but I'm going to focus on a few things today. I'm going to focus on comfort, on love, and our connections between God and each other. Um, and I value participation. So I have, you know, Heather's still here, and I have Linda here to make some comments, and Esther and Rebecca, please make comments. But also, Esther's going to manage the chat, I'm assuming. And so if there's stuff that comes up, interrupt. I'm okay with that. So starting in the beginning in chapter 40, I love that the first word is comfort. So verse one says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Right off, right away in the beginning of this, you get the love. And I love that. And it's expressed in more detail a few chapters later in, in chapter 51, verse three, it says, for the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort her, comfort all her waste places. And he will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Sounds pretty good. Um, and then in verse 2 in chapter 40, he says to Jerusalem, her warfare is accomplished, her iniquity pardoned. I like this first kind of image that we get here in this chapter. This is what we want to hear from our Savior, comfort and pardon. Um, we want to know that he is there and he always will be. Um, that he understands us, that he loves us. Um, in chapter 54, verse 10, he adds, um, for the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that have mercy on thee. So I love the idea of comfort and pardon and mercy, all those really warm thoughts for me when I think about God and I think about our savior. Um, and then in this chapter, this is where the, some of the lyrics from the opening hymn came. Um, I had in primary today, um, our chorister sang this song and he says, I'm going to give the first person, the first kid who knows where the, this, you know, this, the verse of fear, not I'm with you, where that comes from. You get some candy if you can find it first. And all the kids, he says, it's in Isaiah between, you know, chapters, I think he gave them two chapters and the kids are all getting their scriptures. And one little kid raises his hand because he has this hymn book in front of him. And he, he was smart, looked down at the bottom and noticed it says, you know, Isaiah 4110. And, and he got it right away. And so the kids thought he was pretty cool. But I love that, that, you know, when you're reading chapters and things and phrases come out and, and if you've had those hymns run through your mind long enough, you know them, the fear not for I am with thee, be not dismayed. For I am thy God, I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Um, I love the, those images. And then a couple of other images that I loved, these come from the LDS version of the hymn, um, verses 4 and 5. And uh, in Isaiah 43, verse 2, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Um, I love, I like this hymn, um, and these verses remind us of the pillar that is our God, that God is great, and he is ours, and if we build our foundation on him, he will never forsake us, he will always be with us. Um, and then um, I, I kind of found this interesting and a little bit humorous there's a whole bunch in these verses like do you guys remember who i am do you remember that i'm god and he goes 
just expansive over and over about all the things he does, whether it's he did, whether it's uh, parting the Red Sea and everything else, um, and talks a lot about creation uh, and, and the, the many wonderful things he's done. In Isaiah 40, verse 12, he says, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with the span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in, ba- in a balance? Okay, this is our creator. This is our great and powerful and mighty God. And then verse 15, behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the aisles as a very little thing. So how great God is and how very tiny we are and how tiny we are and uh, the world is and the nations are. And, you know, you, you hear that. And but the thing we need to remember, we may be tiny, but we're not insignificant. Definitely not to the Lord. Um, in Isaiah 43, verse 1, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. That is one of my favorite scriptures. The times where you feel that um, you are truly alone, that the times where you feel God doesn't remember who you are, I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. I've redeemed thee. I really love that. And it shows us his immense capacity for love. So we talked comfort, and I want to kind of um, move on to, to this idea of our capacity for love. What is our capacity for love? The greatest commandment we're taught is, we read it in Matthew 22, Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. These two are the main ones. Um, so I think this the question that came up in my mind was, how can you love God if you don't love your neighbor or yourself for that matter? Because I think those, it says two commandments, but they're kind of three, because you have the love of God, neighbor, and self. But how, how can you love God if you don't love your neighbor? Um, we you know, the new, the idea of the new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. Um, ye also should love one another. And so um, recently in a talk, it was said that our love of God is more important and should come above all else. And I struggle with that in the way of how can we love God if we don't love whom he loves? Figure that out. Um, he has expressly asked us, pleaded with us to love each other. And to me, that feels pretty significant, um, really important. Uh, Sometimes that call to love is easy, but most often it is not. It is really difficult to love someone who has hurt you or your family or to love someone who doesn't respect the things that you hold dear, to love someone who um, callously uses others for their own gain. It's hard to love them the way that they, they need to. But yet, our world is full of love. You wouldn't know it to turn the news on um, or to scroll through any bit of social media lately. But even though our culture has increasingly embraced um, performative cruelty and outrage, because that's the thing now, we can be vessels of love and mercy. We have been called to be vessels of love and mercy. Um, One of my favorite general authorities is Chieko Okasaki. And I love her. I love that she used visual aids. 
I love her also because she's quilts. That was my favorite thing. I remember how excited I got when she did Cat's Cradle in general conference. I, I swear I know every per- kid was like super excited. And so in that vein, I'm going to, I, I have a visual aid and um, I will show it to you. This is Chieko. Uh, <laughs> Ferris Sneddon made her. And I, I fought for her very hard in the silent auction at the Midwest Pilgrims retreat this year. She's lovely. I mean, look, how spot on is that, everyone? She is just divine. And I love her so much. Um, uh, she was such a wonderful woman. And Chieko testified that our ability to love comes directly from our Savior. He is the ultimate example of love. And she says, quote, I believe our willingness to be enlarged by love comes in large part from our appreciation of the infinite plentitude of his love for us. So in these chapters, we learn, um, particularly in the later ones of this lesson, in the the ones in the 50s, that our world will be redeemed by love. Um, Sister Okazaki says, even now, it is in the process of being redeemed by love and kindness, this world that we live in, she says, and that this kindness that we offer each other. Again, the love of God is important, loving God, but however, it is intricately entangled with the love of others. So in my mind, in order to love God, we have to love each other. Um, and love's God is abundant. There isn't, it's not pie. There's plenty for everyone else. Um, I don't know if there are any comments or questions. I feel like I'm just lecturing. So if there's anything, let me know. <laughs> um, another thing that I came up when I was thinking about this idea of abundant love is can love cast out fear? Can it manage fear? Um, this is something I think that's just really been prevalent and on my mind lately, the idea of fear, uh, the idea of um, being forgotten. And I like the, the hymn, again, go back to that firma foundation, fear not, I am with thee. God reminds us again and again, he won't forsake us. But even though that's true, there are times we can feel forgotten. Um, and how do we feel? How do we react? How do we cope when we feel forgotten? Do we weep and, and, and feel sad? Do we rage and fight against it? Or do we disengage? I think a lot of times people just disengage when they feel forgotten. The undernourished and the disenfranchised in our communities feel unnoticed and forgotten. And we, in particular, have been called to minister to these souls, these people. Isaiah 41 verses 17 and 18 says, when the poor and the needy seek water and there is none and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord will hear them. I, the God of Israel will not forsake them. I will open rivers in high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. So again, I'm gonna go to Sister Okasaki. And she quotes the Apostle Paul in Corinthians, um, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8. Um, This is what she's quoting Paul. She says, but this I say, she which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And she which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every woman according as she purposeth in her heart. So let her give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, 
may abound to every good work. Adapted, she says. I like improved. Um, in other words, we have sufficient because grace abounds. If good works abound in us, it is not because we are so great, but because God is so great. Our ability to love is small, but his ability to love fills the universe. Every loving word we speak has his accent in it. Every loving gesture we make mirrors the movement of his hands. Every loving thought we think was first in his mind. Clearly, there is no way we can run out of love. The source of love is inexhaustible. But he works through human channels for much the same reason that we water our lawns with a sprinkler instead of a fire hose. His love is a secret that we each have to learn for ourselves. Just opening the fire hydrant on humanity would wash away quite a few. So Jesus asks us to transmit that love in quiet, gentle ways that will nurture without damaging others, but which will let people feel curious about the source of that love until they seek it themselves. I love her so much. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I have a Chieko story I can share. Yes, please. It's pretty uh, tender. Back in the early 1990s, I was <clears throat> at one of the BYU women's conferences, and she was speaking, tiny little Chieko, in the middle of the podium <clears throat> at the Marriott Center, and I was up in the nosebleed seats watching and, and listening. And she, uh, this was at a time when um, I think it was fairly short, reasonably close to when her husband died. And she spoke about how his loss was so hard on her. And she spoke about love and she talked about being yoked with Christ with love and how the power of love to move you through fear and loss and grief. And it just struck me so powerfully in, in the way that only she can do. You know. uh, and then a year later, 1994, my mother had a massive stroke and she was <clears throat> unconscious and in the hospital in Illinois. And I went back and um, was there with my two sisters and went to the hospital to visit her. <clears throat> and I could not make myself walk across the transom or whatever you call it. I could not walk into her hospital room because it was just denial on its feet. And I felt sort of embarrassed that I couldn't, like I should be able to. And I went home that night because I would be back at the hospital the next day. And I remembered Chieko's talk about love and fear and grief and power and relying on one another. And uh, the next day when I went to the hospital, because I felt Chieko was with me, as well as Jesus, I could walk into that room and say goodbye to my mom. After after that, I uh, I wrote a note to Chieko, who had I'd met on a couple of occasions, and she was a speaker at one of the 
Midwest Pilgrims or Denver Mormon Women Conferences or retreats that I'd been to. And I wrote her to, to thank her for this part she played in my life completely unaware And she wrote me back a sweet little note. And apparently this kind of thing happens a lot to her. (laughs) Or did. That uh, she would find out after the fact that something she had said had allowed a person to carry through on something that was difficult or challenging. And that tapped into sources of love beyond compare. And... uh, the fact that she would even respond is wonderful. And that she shared that as though it were a self-awareness that she had this gift from God to share what love means and how to do it with one another. Um, that it, it, once again, it was an example of her providing me a role model of how to be for others, because at that crucial moment, she and Jesus were at my elbows. And I, I hope by now my mom and Chieko have met and, you know, talk quilts and, and all of that. <clears throat> but uh, that was, that's obviously a very tender and um, moving story. So I'm all for Chieko and I'm absolutely drooling with jealousy over your little doll. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, though, Linda. I think that that reminds us that, you know, as I mentioned, we're instruments in the hands of God to bless others. And we don't, there's often we don't know when that's going to occur. We talked about this. I talked about this with my primary class today. You never know what words or things that you do that are going to affect someone in such a way. And I, I love the fact that when you say that this has happened for her a lot, you know, which I'm not surprised, but she had been, she's had been given a platform where she could express this to so many thousands and thousands of people. And I, I just think what a gift her life was and her words were and her, her whole posture and person, because through her, God could support you in that tender moment. And I think that, ha- that that's something we have to remember that we never know when something we say or do can, can bring that to someone else. I love that. Thank you so much. Um, this last, it strikes oh, me. Yeah. I just want to. It strikes me that um, I mean that's an example of the world being redeemed by love, right? So Chaco mm-hmm. putting that love out into the world, and then it having this um, just amazing kind of rippling effect that um, that helps to heal, um, you know, far and wide. So, uh, and, and I'm struck in thinking about. Um, you know, these examples and Chaco's words and Isaiah, like what this looks like as we're trying to work on our capacity to love and, you know, that realization of where it comes from, from, from God, from the example of the savior. And, um, and that it will sometimes look like, like, like God does with us holding hands, right. Holding hands, um, hearing people, um, and kind of entering into the world with that intention of, of love. So thanks. thank you. And I, I actually managed to peek at the chat and Chris mentioned that um, reminding himself not to break out of the transactional gospel. I hate the transactional gospel. 
you know, it, it's, it's something, love is so much more expansive. You can't just chop it up into little pieces. It doesn't seem to work that way for me. Um, I had a call this week with a Harvard grad student. Um, my husband linked me up with her. She is studying evangelical women's groups. And he mentioned that I'm involved with Exponent 2. And she was talking about some of the stuff. He says, oh, yeah, my wife does all that stuff. And so she called, and I started to tell her about the history of Exponent. She knew a little bit because everybody knows Laurel um, Ulrich over there at Harvard. All the people know her. So, but, you know, we talked a little bit about it um, and the parallels. And it was, like, she she was fascinated, just the parallels between, um, like, Exponent and these other women's groups that she had been studying. And so in our discussion, um, she didn't know a lot about the church. And so I was telling her a little bit about, you know, the way the organization works. And I mentioned that in, in the LDS wards, they're organized geographically. You don't get to choose where you want to go. Because she mentioned that she was not happy with her congregation. So she left and she went and found another one and it was better. And I said, well, that's not how we're organized. Um, for some people, that could be good. For others, maybe they're not as happy. But it is a little genius because you are going to be put together with folks who do not necessarily, you would not necessarily get the chance to know if you could choose where you wanted to go. You worship, you work with people who are different from you in lots of different ways. And then on top of that, not just attending this ward, we're called to be ministering sisters and brothers to someone, and it gives us the opportunity to focus that love in a more specific and intimate way, again, being an instrument in God's hands. And we can look to um, the Savior for an example of this. And this is so much, this captures, I think, a little bit of what Rebecca was saying in her response to Linda. During the Savior's ministry, he fed the hungry, he talked with others, he touched people who needed healing. And, but so many of its actions were those of quiet love rather than grand gestures, those, those tender, intimate moments. And this is what we're asked to do, ordinary acts of love and service. We use the sprinkler, not the fire hose. You know, this idea of, of spreading that love out there. This is how we not only show our love to God, but show God's love to those we serve. And it can be challenging. Often our inclination isn't naturally coming from a place of love. Um, I'll give you an example. I, I remember something Heather Sundahl told us once. She said that when you're doing the tough service, the dirty work, the not so fun stuff, remind yourself, I'm doing this for Jesus. I am cleaning for Jesus. I am chauffeuring for Jesus. I am loading the moving truck for Jesus. And so when you have those times where it's really hard to serve a certain person, just remember you're doing it for Jesus. I love that so much. So I think about that all the time. I've had, I've had many chauffeuring, and I, I know almost every doctor in South Bend, and I know them because of Jesus, you know, taking my ministering sister to doctor's appointments. So um, I just love that. And again, love of God and love of others and love of ourselves. it's all connected. We can't separate them. Um, another uh, question, oh, yes, go ahead. Was, there's a really great comment in the, the chat that I wanted to bring please, up. Please, please. It's Lori LeVar Pierce. She says, I want to echo the importance of witnessing for others and seeing whole people as a way to love. I taught a really study lesson in Missouri, my Missouri word two weeks ago and mentioned in a discussion on how to use the gospel to overcome racial inequality. And in response to a comment about not seeing color pointed out that seeing and honoring all parts of who people are is a better way to build community. We want all parts of ourselves to be seen and appreciated and loved. Oh, yes, Lori, so, that is so true. I never liked the colorblind thing because then you're not noticing the full person. 
And I think that's so important when we are in our daily interactions, whether it's in our with wards, it's your neighbors. You know, if you've got a neighbor who flies a different flag than you do, that's okay. You know, you, there, there are things that you can connect on. And this kind of segues to something that I've been thinking about. I, I've talked about this with my husband and some friends, the, the idea of cancel culture lately. You know, someone does something, we're going to cancel them. We're going to cut them out of our lives. I'm not going to have anything to do with that person anymore. I find that so dangerous. Um, we all do stupid things. We all say stupid things. Um, so, you know, sometimes you have to give people grace. When, when they say something that might be ignorant or even if it's cruel, sometimes you've got to, to work with them. And I'm not saying that people don't need to be held accountable for words and actions, but I think cutting them someone off because of that, it worries me. I think there's a way to do it without dismissing them outright. I have family, very close family and friends who have very different beliefs, politically, spiritually even. Um, I can't cut them off. I can't cut them out. I have, I, I, I ask myself, how do I answer God's call to reach out and love them? To have charity, to understand them and think about what they're experiencing, what they're feeling that makes them react that way or say the things that they, they say. To try, as Lori said, to see the whole person. And I think that's so important when we're, we're supposed to be caring for and loving one another. Um, this might be controversial. I don't know. This is the gospel. This is not the gospel according dialogue or anybody but me. This is something that's been in my head lately. Um, I think many people in society today have enjoyed the notice for decades. They have not gone unnoticed. This, they've been in a place of being noticed for a long time. And they're now feeling the creep of being forgotten or left behind. Or they think they're being left behind. Mainly because someone else may be enjoying new rights or an expansion of rights they feel that their rights are being impinged on. I don't know. And they, they seek to find someone or they seek to those who are going to remove this feeling of being forgotten because nobody likes to feel out of it, out of the loop or, or alone. And I think sometimes they'll latch on to people who tell them what they want to hear and sympathize with their plight, even to the point where it becomes idol worship. And to pull back that, that idea back in the scriptures there's so many things in this chapter that says your idols have have nothing there are there is no god before me um in isaiah like 40 chapter 40 verse 18 to whom then will ye liken god or what likeness will ye compare unto him verse 25 to whom then will ye liken me or shall i be equal saith the holy one i am the lord and there is none else there is no god beside me um, and then I love this in, um, it, there are many scriptures of these, and I'll just read one last one in, in uh, Isaiah 41, 29, behold, they are all vanity. Their works are nothing. Their molten images are wind and confusion. There's a lot of wind and confusion going on right now, I think. These verses remind us, uh, tell us that God reminds us he is all powerful, and all these idols, these things that want to take us away from what's really important, they cannot save us. They are wind and confusion. They are nothing. And I, I like to, you know, when any, anytime I teach my primary kids about idols, you know, they're not, I'm not worried about them having a, a golden Pokemon on their dresser that they're worshiping. But I remind them that anything can become an idol if it takes you away from what you really should focus on. If you're going to spend your time so much time doing one thing without 
keeping a good focus. And for them, they can kind of get that, that, you know, um, that, that can be a form of idol worship. So that's just one of those things I was thinking of with that. So I hope that's okay. <laughs> um, the final chapters in the lesson, the ones that um, starting like within 53 or so, I think are really beautiful. They are part of the lesson that focuses on the redeeming sacrifice of Jesus. These are also ones that are quoted in the Book of Mormon, almost word for word. Um, it, it talks of Jesus's life. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with uh, and acquainted with grief. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. The Savior's capacity for forgiveness is as great as his capacity for love. They go together. Uh, chapter 55, verse 1 says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come, buy, and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. It's free. Nothing's free anymore. But this is free. God's love is free. We don't need to earn it. We have it already. We should also remember God knows more than we do. We think we know stuff. His capacity to love is greater than ours, and we shouldn't be arrogant and think we know what other people need in order to be right with God. Um, that's always, to me, a dangerous thing. In verse 7, he says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Love that phrase, abundantly pardon. We all need abundant pardon. Um, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So regardless of where we find ourselves, God and Jesus are always there for us. I like the idea that they'll abundantly pardon us. It is a beautiful phrase filled with mercy and hope. Um, so that's just something that um, stood out for me um that's about all I have for all of this I don't know if there are any more questions or comments in chat um I wanted to add something I yeah, keep going back to what you said at the beginning about us being in a sense the the sprinklers for God's love I'd never thought about it that way I really like that that imagery of us breaking it down into digestible portions for individuals. Um, and I've been thinking a lot lately, you reading these kind of the last two or three books in the Old Testament, the the concept of fearing God and like how God is awesome and fearful. And how do we, how do I frame that in a way that builds a, a positive and healthy relationship with my view of deity? Um, and for me, it always comes back to this idea of that grace and love are incomprehensible and that the, the level of forgiveness that is offered is just terrifying if we were try to, to try to comprehend it as, as a mortal mind. Um, and then tying that in with what you said about the repetition in, in Isaiah of like, do you know who I am? But also, do you know who you are? And it's like, you know, do you understand this? And, you know, if we could really see what God saw in us, that it, it would be terrifying in all the best senses of that word. Um, which then like, you know, I'm, I'm taking you down like my ADD brain rabbit hole right now, <laughs> um, but then like for me, it's connecting like, okay, how has, how have people helped me to glean nuggets of what God sees in me? 
um, and especially the women in my life. And the one that comes to mind immediately is on my mission. I had uh, a single sister. I was serving in a YSA ward and she'd go teaching with us very often. And after a lesson one day, she pulled me aside and she was a professional teacher. She taught high school, had a master's degree in teaching. And, and she pulled me aside and she said, you know, you understand your scriptures really well, but you don't teach people. Um, you, you aren't willing to open yourself up and really share what you think and feel about the gospel. You just, you pull out the facts, which you know well. And she's like, you're never going to teach well unless you understand how to really open yourself up and be vulnerable in the process of teaching. And, you know, it was very, you know, kind of a little bit of a chastisement, but very loving. And it completely shifted my paradigm of how I saw my role as a missionary and as a teacher. And then that rolled into becoming a professional educator after my mission. And it's just, it was such a turning point in my life, just that five minute conversation. And, you know, I'm very like, uh, reserved with like saying like how and when we should critique people in the church because it happens much too much and much too liberally in my opinion. But fire I think hydrants. That, there's a lot of fire hydrants in the church. Yeah, <laughs> but I also I'm really grateful for some of those moments like that where somebody saw how I was holding myself back from potential of of really tapping into my divine power, and that they gave me a glimpse of that, and that they could see from their perspective of like here is who you are. Here is who God is. Let me help you see that. And so how do we do that for others? I like that. And I like the idea that it's, again, I, we don't ever want to, again, to use the fire hydrant analogy, turn on that hose or the fire hydrant to drown others with so much stuff or our beliefs or whatever, to the point where they can't take it in because that's a turnoff. You know, they, it's, it's too much. And I like the idea of figuring out what we can do to be a little more vulnerable and open with other people and share who we are. Um, An example of this, again, my primary class, because all the good things come from the 10 and 11 year olds in primary, I'm telling you. We asked the question, my my co-teacher asked the question of, you know, if somebody's feeling forgotten or they're feeling sad, how can we get them? You know, how, how can we help understand what they're going through? And, and what if you can't tell that they're sad? So they're all bright and smiley when they see them, but, but inside they're feeling bad and forgotten. And one of, our, one of our little guys, he was just great. He just said, maybe if you share how you feel in a time when you're feeling, you're struggling or you're, you're feeling bad, maybe that will allow them to know that they can trust you enough to tell how they feel. I'm like, right there this kid he gets it this idea of being vulnerable and expressing maybe the the difficulties or the the hard things that you have can get someone else to feel hey I, you're someone i can connect with and i think a lot of this connecting um is is how we show love and how we express that to other people so, yeah yeah i think that's really i think that's really captured by that metaphor of the sprinkler <laughs> <laughs> right and also especially if you the, guys are out in Utah and we know you're not supposed to be watering your lawns at <laughs> come on <laughs> well well so the so I'm in the process of you know transforming my front park strip to you know more water good for you um, you know a, be- a better kind of um you know realizing uh, you live in a desert Rebecca you right and so and so I'm not gonna have sprinklers I'm actually gonna have drip lines right for these little plants oh, that yeah. now are going to be nurtured and I'm not 
overdoing it. So that even fits. Yeah, <laughs> it's even better, right? So, so uh, sometimes we don't need sprinklers. We actually just need these little drip lines. Um, and that fits with that metaphor that you brought out from Isaiah at the beginning of the lesson where, um, where God is holding our hands, right? Um, and if we think of that imagery, that sprinklers or drip lines or holding hands, like what is that? I mean, it really fits with that, um, uh, you know, that like, um, do you remember who I am? Um, do you remember who you are? And we're able to bring people really into God's love. If 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 we've got that kind of approach, that holding hands approach going into um, this this world and its diverse creations that that we're blessed to um, to be around and to learn from. Oh, I love it. And it's gentle and ordinary. It's mm-hmm. not something that you feel you have to have this grand plan and this big idea. It's small, ordinary drips can make all the difference. I told my kids today, I said, you know, saying hi to someone when you see them in the hall, how hard is that? Not very, but it could make a big difference. You don't never know. It can make a big difference for that kid. So it's a drip. I like it. Heather, yeah. did you have something? Yeah, I just, I put a, something sort of similar in the chat is that, um, you know, in, in working on becoming a therapist and seeing clients, like, you kind of think like, okay, well, I've got to have all these interventions and all of this stuff to help people. But I find that the thing that most people really want is they just want to be witnessed. They just want someone, like you said, see them in the hallway and say, hi, I see you. Mm -hmm. You know, they just want someone to listen and say, yeah, that sucked. That was hard. And it's just this this huge thing, and um, and that's why I think things like exponent are so powerful. It's because you're providing this venue where people can witness each other, and 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 that's what Shaco did. She dared to speak and notice all sorts of things, like with abuse, that people were like, you know, we'll validate all this stuff, but we just like we we don't want to. <laughs> You know, we don't it. want to look at that stuff. It's, no. it's too icky. It's too, it's too triggery. And she just was like, no, we will, I see you. And it's not that she somehow solved abuse or fixed it, but just the power of witnessing. And I had this, this one client kind of apologize to me. She says, I, I, I just, I feel so bad that I, I'm so desperate to have somebody just hear me and just sort of see my stuff. And I, and she's she's um, member of she's Mormon and she likes to sort of pull in LDS um, concepts. And I, I said to her, like when the Savior was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was desperate to have his disciples witness. He was like, can't you just sit here with me? They weren't going to suffer. They weren't going to take a chunk of the atonement on themselves. He just wanted a body to see him. And just say, I'm here. I see what you're doing. This is hard. I said to her, if Jesus needs witnessing, Mm -hmm. I think that it's okay for us to need witnessing too. That this is absolutely a universal human need to just witness, to see. I love that hallway thing. Say hi. Say hi to someone. Yeah. I have another Chieko anecdote. Tell it. Oh, tell it, there she is, tell it. 
she mentioned at one of the retreats I, I attended where she was, how she has a habit of shooting little prayers to total mm-hmm. strangers. She's walking down the corridor in the airport and sees, you know, a mom with three kids trailing along and mom looks exhausted and she just shoots her a little prayer. Uh, doesn't say it out loud, but, you know, puts puts God and that person connected. And I've picked up that habit, um, especially at airports. I like that if I don't have to do it all the time, but when I'm at airports, just uh, shoot a little goodwill towards some total stranger and be, be part of uh, the cure and not the cause. And um, that's a, that's another tre- Chieko treat and God treat. And that reminds me also that um, there's a book by Sarah Vowell, who's a, a journalist and writer and comic in a sort of mm-hmm. twisted way. And she wrote a book about the early uh, Puritan settlers in America called Worthy Shipmates. And she, a lot of that book talks about, I think this is the one uh, that mentions a lot about um, the Puritan connection to the uh, the scriptures in the Old Testament. And Sarah Vowell mentioned that in her reading of the Old Testament, it sounds like God has a personality disorder. He's either this fiery, vicious yeah. smiter, or he's like the scriptures you began this session with, with love and with awareness of you and, and all of that. And that reminded me of a recent um, dialogue session with David Sandberg on Job that was so powerful and meaningful. If you haven't listened to that bring it up after this or sometime this week and listen to that. That was the awe that that God is comprised of or, or that we, once we have a sense of the incredible power and even destructive power and um, a creative force that, makes earthquakes and devastation and and uh in job as his life was being torn apart and uh, the uh references to god as though i am a leviathan from the depths of the sea and you have no idea of my might and power and that's kind of a ooh well that doesn't sound very cuddly but in the <clears throat> But when you realize that infused through all of that, not only is the power beyond our comprehension and the, uh, kind of scary when you think about it, um, but the love has at least as much muscle. I mean, they are all of, all of one. Uh, and that terror before God is... Not such a crazy idea. I mean, uh, that you can recognize that there are, the greatness of God is awe-inspiring. And the love and compassion of God is compelling and nurturing. And that those two can be in the same 
being, however many multiple <laughs> uh, gendered or not, whatever, it's, it's those are big thoughts. Yeah, and I, that's what I respond to more. So that's why I said I'm a lot of the Old Testament stuff. It, it's not the God that I have a relationship yes, with. God's exactly. not mad at me all the time. You know, got the parent though. You know, if you have this idea, there are times where I'm not. I, w- I wasn't always happy with my children. They knew it, but it's always the love that should be most important. And that's where I. That's the relationship I have with God. I don't relate to vindictive or anger as the primary focus. And I like how you said that. As much as there's this expansive God, you know, of destruction, but there's we need to look on the other side. It's expansive God of, of love. So good. Um, So could I, could I add a quick story that relates to the drip as opposed to the fire hose, I guess. Drip. Thanks Rebecca. (laughs) Um, I'm in the sacrament meeting and I guess I won't generalize, but for me, it was one of those meetings that makes me feel like I'm not wanted I should get out. I don't like this. They don't like me. Um, I don't belong. But I mean, you can go on with that. And at the end of the meeting, um, I get up and a man I know very casually comes by and says, I see you and I'm glad you're here. That's the whole story. But that, that kept me alive for Three or four months, actually, that one line. Mm. That is so powerful. And it makes, it, it means so much because um, I have said, I had this conversation once with Jana Reese. It was one of my favorites. And I said, you know, there's this whole talk about being a cafeteria Mormon. I said, I'm a cafeteria Mormon. And Jana said, honey, we're all cafeteria Mormons. You're just being honest about it. And I thought, oh, yeah, it's the, sometimes there are things that work for me and that don't work for me. And, and, I, I've told this story to a number, probably a number of you who are on this one, I, this last weekend. Um, my daughter and her fiancé came to church with me. My daughter doesn't attend anymore, and her, um, her fiancé was raised Catholic, and um, she wanted to see what our church was like. And so the two of them are sitting with me in the chapel, and at the other end of the pew is my friend who's the primary president. She sends me a text, are those your girls? And I send back, yes. She said, oh, I'm so glad they're here. The closing prayer is said. And the woman, who's a friend of mine, in front of me in the pew turns around and said, you must be Katie and Anna. Your mom talks about you all the time. We're so excited you're here and we're so thrilled you're getting married. Okay. You know, surprise me. Another friend almost knocks her over to get to my girls to say, oh, it's so good to see you. Tell us about the wedding plans. We've got some wedding places you could check out in the area. This is not a normal thing that I think you would find in a Mormon ward. But what it did to me was just like that with Chris for someone to say, I see you. I'm glad you're here. It gave to me that these there are people in my ward who see me, who see my family and my kids, who love us and accept us where we are, who we are. And it, it, it just was one of those love moments. And it was a drip. It was. A text was a drip. But, man, that just, it really made me feel like, this, th- these people are, are my people, you know, we're here geography, you know, geographically, but you're here spiritually in my heart. It, it's one of those things that um, it's my touchstone for the last, you know, few months that it just made me 
feel like I, I can still keep doing the church thing and I'm, I'm good because I have good people. Um, so I hope this is okay. I haven't cleared this with any of the powers that be in dialogue, but before I finish, um, I wanted to, to say this. I thought I would make a call out to any of you who are looking for good places to send support that will bloom into projects that are imbued with comfort, the comfort and love we've talked about today. Um, and I'm going to get emotional, so be ready. Um, so many of you knew our dear Kate Holbrook, who passed away recently. There is a scholarship fund that will benefit primary caregivers of young children in who are pursuing graduate work in the humanities at BYU. They are a little over halfway to their goal of creating this endowed scholarship. Um, and so if you knew her and loved her, I will, would recommend or, or ask you that you would maybe consider donating to that. And then also, in the beginning of this year, we lost a, a, a dear exponent sister, Rebecca Van Eidert, and her husband, Jason, in a car accident. Um, for those of you who didn't know her, Becca was a lawyer who did amazing pro bono work at the U.S. border with asylum seekers. Jason was a well-loved physician who worked in hard worked very hard in various communities to promote public health. Their families have set up the Van Eidert Howell Memorial Fund, to, um, and it was going to benefit the important work that both Becca and Jason valued. Their four children will be involved in deciding how the proj what projects they're going to donate to. So I will put into the chat um, just the information if you guys, if there's anyone out there who knew them and would like to support them with that. Um, for the closing song today, um, I, I just last weekend, last Sunday, I was at Exponent up in the woods of New Hampshire with my Mormon feminist sisters. It was wonderful. Um, at the retreat last weekend, someone shared a children's song with us called um, He Knows Me. And it, the, the tag underline is A Song of Comfort for All God's Children. It's by Jenny Richards. And I thought it was a nice bookend to the opening hymn of How Firm a Foundation and for a lot of what we're talking about. And I ask you to listen for these lyrics. These are part of the chorus. It says, when I am sad, when I'm afraid, when I'm alone, when I'm in pain, no matter what, no matter when, no matter how long it's been, he knows me, he hears me, he loves me. When things are dark and life is hard, we should know that our heavenly parents, our savior, Jesus Christ, love us. They will never, no, never, no, never forsake us. And after the closing song, there will be a beautiful visual blessing as our closing prayer made from my friend, artist Paige Turner. And thank you guys all for um, your words and your support. It has meant a lot. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. I think all of us can attest to the fact that there were drips added to our needed watering today, spiritually and emotionally. Um, yeah, so as, as Christian said, we'll have the closing him and a closing visual prayer and then as always we will break out for our more casual in the hall after chat um which will not foyer. Be, yeah the foyer <laughs> our foyer chat um which will be recorded for record keeping purposes but will not be posted anywhere in the near future you've been listening to the dialogue gospel sunday study find more of our podcasts at dialoguejournal.com slash podcasts Dialogue Podcast Network.